Becoming the heroic man, the noble man, the man who follows in the steps of Jesus, is all about becoming a warrior servant. Jesus, in fact, was the great warrior servant of all time. He submitted his strength and energy to his Father's will and lived in his Father's love. Out of that posture, he served everyone around him, fighting for them and meeting them at their point of need. His heroic greatness was found in lifting up the greatness of others by serving them. To follow in the way of the Master is to also become a warrior servant as he was. And today we want to look at a real life way that can happen in a man's family. As a high school teacher for years, I was able to spot the difference between students who had been well fathered from those whose fathers were absent or abusive. There was a quiet solidity about them. They still struggle with peer pressure and fear of failure, but those struggles didn't define them. It was as if the father had become a sort of shield for them. The arrows still flew around them, but they didn't pierce them. The father's attention, engagement, and affirmation had grounded them as young men and women. They knew they were loved and cherished by their fathers. Something about them even glowed at times. It is difficult to overstate the power of a father. His words and actions are footprints in the wet cement of his children's souls. Not making an impact for a father is just not an option. The only option is, what kind of impact will it be? I've heard so many father stories over the years about that impact, both positive and negative. But just recently, one came to me from an older man who is a mentor of mine. He shared how his own father simply did not know how to offer affirmation to him. He does not ever remember hearing his father say that he was proud of him. But in the same breath, he told the story of his brother and the vivid memory he had of his father in an uncharacteristic outburst saying, I'm so proud of what you have done and I'm so proud to have you as a son. It was a memory forever planted in the heart of his brother, a footprint that still marked him today. But becoming heroic as a father is not about trying to be the perfect father. It's not about feeling pressure to get everything right. It's not about feeling condemned over all the mistakes you have already made. Becoming heroic as a father starts with letting Jesus himself serve you with his own love. It starts with letting the father love you as a son. And then you go and offer the overflow of that to your children. Living in the love of Christ as our heroic brother, we have the eyes to see our children and to see their hearts. We have the capability to offer real affirmation to them. We have the desire to engage them and teach them whatever we can offer to them. And more than anything, we long for them to come to know the Christ we have come to know so that they too can love and follow. This is Heroic Parenting. I'm Bill Delvo, and this is Heroic, a podcast about the surprising path to true manhood. One of the most profound ways manhood is expressed is through a father becoming a warrior servant within his family. Joining me for this conversation is David Thomas, David is the Director of Family Counseling at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. 
He is the co-author of six books, including the best-selling Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys, and is a frequent guest on national television and radio. He is married and is a father himself to three children. David has spent thousands of hours counseling children and their parents. He brings all of that to bear in our conversation today on heroic fathering. Some of the topics we'll cover in this conversation are how we can effectively engage our sons and daughters, the need for a father's presence with his sons, and the power in affirming boys. Just recently, I heard a friend say that he went to a presentation on parenting that David gave. Then, he added that he would never miss something where David was speaking. I have known David as a friend for some time now, and I can say the same thing myself. What he says is so worth listening to. David, thanks for being with us here today. I want to start with this question. You have counseled so many boys and young men over the years. What is it that they long for from their fathers? First off, it's great to be with you, always. Thanks. And excited for an opportunity to talk about this great work you're offering into the world. And I'm thankful to to get to talk about it in the context of fathering. Yeah. And, and Bill, I would say in response to that question, I think more than anything, uh, boys are looking for presence. And I think mm-hmm. that uh, is one of the easiest things for us to lose as dads. Uh, we are very action-oriented. We're often very task-oriented. We're kind of coaches by nature. And I think in the midst of that, we can lose just the importance of engagement, enjoyment, and play. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I think about how many boys over the course of, I've I've done this work for over 20 years now, and I think about how many boys over the years have said something to me like, uh, I don't love to ride home from a game with my dad. I'd rather ride home with my mom. And that kind of statement just breaks my heart. I right. know what's likely coming next, yes, but I'll you know, ask, the, I'll chase the, yes, that. The, and The postmortem of, yes. the, uh, of and, the game. Yes, and, and, and usually I'll hear some story like, you know, he's going he's gonna to tell me everything I did wrong, or he's right. going to tell me what I need to do better. And, and again, that, that coaching posture that I take on, and, and I challenge Dad so much in that. You know, I'll sometimes laugh with him and say, you know, in over 20 years, I have yet to meet one boy who loves to ride home from a game and be told what he did wrong or what he could be done better, wow. what could have been done better. And so I, I, I want to challenge dads in that place. I mean, I'll even have boys say, I don't love to shoot hoops in the backyard. I don't even want to play horse with him because he's going to correct my shot. You know, he's yeah. going to critique my throw those sorts of things and and so that is one place that i want to challenge dads consistently when given the opportunity because i think that's something that our sons are just hungering for our our engagement our presence and just enjoyment that there are a lot of moments where we are stepping back and reminding ourselves um, and hopefully reminding each other when we're bothering in community like he's already got a coach he just needs a champion. Mm. Like, that's all he needs me to be. I think there are a lot of moments. I do want to acknowledge this one. I think boys invite us into that and, and want our voices and need our voices. Um, but I want us to pay very close attention to when he's asking for it or when we believe that he genuinely needs it as opposed to I need him to have the information. 
Right, right. And I think that's different. And I think, talk, talk about the difference between these two statements, because I think this will sort of frame what you're trying to say. When a dad says, in an affirming way, great job you did with the game today. Nothing wrong with that. But what's the difference between that statement and, I'm so glad you're my son? Mm-hmm. Talk about the difference. How does a boy receive those two? Yeah, very differently. And and I think boys are often waiting for a great game today and seeing what's going to come next. And and what I would love to come next, what I want boys to hear is, I can't even begin to tell you how much I love to watch you play. Mm. And and in the sentence there, and and not draw attention to even particular moments of success that I think could take a boy to a place of automatically assuming your your pleasure resides in my performance you know you loved it when i was scoring you know and and i would say to dads crank up the volume on that messaging when he's had a really hard game that we remind him that however the whatever the outcome like whatever whatever my pleasure is in watching you being with you seeing you do something that you love watching you in the center of a place you've been gifted so talk about the trajectory of those two. A boy who senses his father's presence, where does that take him as a young man? And a boy who senses my father's pleasures in my performance, mm-hmm. where does that take him? Talk about those two trajectories. I think I can see evidence of that with a kid early into my work before I've sat with a father for the first time. And, and I think some of that, again, is just – you do the work long enough, and, and certain things have a scent about right, them. So I don't think out. it's that I'm all that <laughs> no. great at what I do. It's just I've done it yeah. for a long time. Right. But I think my my dear friend and colleague, Sissy Goff, talks about how girls who are delighted in by their fathers feel more delightful. And I would say there is a truth to that statement with yeah. boys as well. Like I, I sense that with boys who just feel their dad's delight, like – um, I'm at the center of his life, and it doesn't matter whether I'm doing this thing that he loves. I worked years ago with an NFL player um, whose son's greatest passion was dance. And I will never forget this boy and the pure delight that his dad, all 260 wow. pounds, six foot five of him, <laughs> genuinely experienced in what this kid loved. Not just that it was different, that it was something that wouldn't necessarily fit within the mainstream definition of a masculine interest. And I remember how beautiful it was to sit on the sidelines and to watch that. And there wasn't a moment that this kid really questioned, like, should I be doing this instead? Or what does he really think about what I'm doing? So I very much believe in that. And I I think the trajectory of that is a kid that that it really does solidify their sense of self. And I think it also sets the stage for it being that much easier for them to have a sense of God is pleased with me when they've had that firsthand experience here on earth of this is what it looks like to be loved just for who I am, not for anything I do. Right. Our fathers become our our first taste of the Father. Absolutely. In some way, either good or bad. And Absolutely. That's how, thing, that's how the created order is set up. And I want to be very clear in saying to any dad out there listening, like, I'm talking to myself, too. We were laughing a little bit earlier about the Enneagram, and if you know that tool or if you've used that tool I believe in it strongly, and I'm a one on the Enneagram. I'm a reformer. I'm a perfectionist. And so I can, in any given moment, be critical, be judgmental. I can make anyone around me, and certainly my wife and children, um, feel like they're up for a performance evaluation. So this message I'm saying to myself first every time around, and that 
you know, what I hope more than anything, what I think I fear more than anything in my journey of fathering is that my kids would grow up with this sense of I didn't hit the mark with him. You know, my room wasn't clean enough. I didn't score high enough, whatever it may be. So hear me very clearly saying this to myself first before I'm saying it to any other dad. No, I get it. I get it. And and l- let's go there. Uh, talk about boys often see their first heroes in their fathers. So let's talk about that both that privilege of that and that responsibility and how you've seen that play out in your own work as a counselor and then how you see that just being a father yourself. Mm. I think it really is both. I think it is an enormous privilege and a great responsibility, an overwhelming responsibility at times. And and I think some of it goes back to that enjoyment piece of engagement. I talk a lot about becoming a student of your kids and and what does it look like to study I, development I, way, I love that phrase mm. studying your kids becoming their you know student I do too I do too and I think about the lifelong journey of that like knowing that studying them at 5 is going to look so different than studying them at 15 and, and at studying 25. them at 25 absolutely yes. yeah. and and there again the delight piece what would it look like for our kids to experience a lifetime of us wanting to know them um yeah, I, I, I think it's about studying development. I think it's about studying temperament. And I think that's key in that privilege and responsibility because to me, that anchors us to a place of figuring out how are they like me? How are they different than me? And because they're both. They are. And, and you know this reality as well as I do, having multiple children. Like it, it fascinates me. The longer I do this work and I parent my own kids, and two of my three are twins, that shared gender. I have twin boys, and it fascinates me that we pour the same genetic ingredients in, (laughs) and the outcome is so profoundly different. different. It is. And here I have two who are born within minutes of each other. They've always lived in the same bedroom. They have the same two parents. They go to the same school, (laughs) and they are such different boys. And, And it's my job, you know, over the course of their growing up, I believe, to lean in and say, God, give me a vision for the way this guy should go and the way this guy should right. go. So yeah. instead of cookie cutter parenting, it's sort of like what's inside of their hearts, being attuned to yes. that and then going there. Yes. You know, I heard this great story about a, a professor and he, um, and I think he was a seminary professor, but he grew up as a hunter and he tried to take his boy hunting and his boy, you know, his son hated it. And about 13 or 14, he said no more. And his son started skateboarding and he made that decision that he said, I'm going to enter the world of my son. Mm. And he said he talked about what happened when he just started going to watch his son skateboard and to talk the talk and pick up the lingo and how it opened those doors that seems that seems so shut. And I think he learned that lesson to becoming a student of your oh, of your yeah. son and daughter, you know, and going there versus having these preset yes. prefab sort of yes. this is how it's going to be. And and to believe in the midst of that like God has given me exactly what I need, which I believe. Um, what 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 you need to parent? Yes, what yeah. I need to parent and the kids I need. That oh. you know, for all the moments that I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> like He's given me what I need, and that sometimes that is not at all what I may have wanted or imagined or intended. Right. But I think that's key. And and Bill, this actually just happened this morning. I I did a consultation with a family. The mom and dad are both attorneys, brilliant people, and they have a son with a severe learning disability. So these are two people who 
knocked down the doors of half the universities in this country. They really picked where they would have wanted to go. And right. a little guy who college may not even be an option wow. for him. It may and it may not. And and to believe in that moment, like they were given exactly, I said this to them, I believe you were given exactly what you needed. You are equipped to take this journey, though it feels unfamiliar to mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would say that's part of that challenge, too, of that privilege and responsibility, particularly for dads who are high achieving, who are have been successful in their work. I think we've got to be even more attuned to that of, of where we may not even be aware that we've set the bar in terms of expectation and how we might define success for our sons who may love something very different than what we love, who may go a very different path, whose passions may be polar opposites and what does it look like for that kid to experience our pleasure yeah that's a great that's a great way to put it and it, it is it's so sometimes it's letting go of the dreams that we thought for our children and instead of going okay what what's really inside of them yes and going there what what has god given me right here and let's go with that yes and love them there talk about the counsel from the bible that you consider really crucial for fathers. Mm. What comes to mind with that? I would say maybe first uh, is the story of the prodigal son. I would. Mm. I, I just, I think there is so much wisdom for us, not just in moments of our kids um, crashing or burning or going against or any number of things, but I think there's so much wisdom just in welcoming kids in whatever moment and whatever season. And I think there is a lot of wisdom even in how the father engages and challenges the elder brother. I talk a lot about the elder brother, one, because that's where I find myself most in that story, <laughs> particularly the, the, as a one. The yes. angry elder Oh, brother. yes, the angry elder brother who was doing exactly what he was told to do and is fuming in the background and so I think there's so much wisdom in how he engages with him as well and you know I think more than anything the the mercy in that story just it overwhelms me every time I think I re read that I think about this passage in Titus 3 that I love so much Titus 3 4 and 5 says when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared he saved us not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. And as someone who bends toward being right a lot of the time, like I say that back to myself all the time, Mm. like you didn't get anything right. You didn't. You who loves to be right, believes you are right sometimes, like you are loved by a God who has extended so much mercy and so much forgiveness to you on a daily, oftentimes, hourly, minute-by-minute basis. And I think I want that to be my roadmap for fathering all the time. And I and I have to keep anchoring myself to it over and sure. over because, as I've confessed, like, it's just not the way I bend. I don't bend toward mercy. I bend toward justice. And so I have to keep saying that truth back to myself. And I think for us as dads in those moments, particularly if we are a person who's, again, someone who bends more toward being right, I just think We've got to work that much harder to get there. Yeah, and it sounds like the that story is both for the father and for counsel for fathering the son because we have to continually come home to the father ourselves and experience ourselves as sons to have the eyes and the lens and the capability to begin to offer that welcome to our own sons. 
Amen. and daughters. Amen. And to be able to just see them for who they are and mm-hmm. love them for who they are, wherever they are. Like you said, I love that idea that you welcome them wherever they are. You know, whatever's gone wrong, yes. there's still a welcome. Yes. I'm, I'm still glad you're here. I still enjoy you. Despite whatever. Yes. The core is not that. The core is this. Well, and, and I think it takes us back to that first ingredient when I talk about becoming a student of studying development. I think it allows us to love them where they are easier. I sat with some parents last week, and they have a 14-year-old son, and the mom started to make this statement. She was like, he is never going to. And I stopped her. I had up the <laughs> time pause out. time. And time I was out. Like, yes. I said, you know what? We don't get to say that about any 14-year-old. Like, we don't get to make any declarations. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go down in history as who I was at 14. <laughs> and I Neither think when, do I. Oh, and so when we're anchored to development, we see them as just that, developing people. Mm-hmm. Like, they're growing. They're developing. And generally speaking, boys are going to be pretty clumsy in how they go about that in adolescence. and so Very clumsy. Yes. And so it allows us, I think, to operate more out of that mindset of coming to them the way the Father comes to us, welcoming them in all seasons. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's great. So um, go to this. Talk about you're speaking in front of a crowd of fathers. What, What are some of the Two, one, two, three things. It's like, okay, I, I need to say this. I need to say this. I need to say this. Mm-hmm. Where do you go with that? You got five or ten minutes. What do you got? Okay, I got I to gotta get this in. I definitely talk a lot about that coaching posture. Right, the presence <clears throat> versus the coach. Yes, absolutely. And that that's a particular trap, I think, for us as dads. And By and the then, way, I've heard many stories along the same lines. Heartbreaking, mm-hmm. heart-rending stories. Mm-hmm. Just you know, make you want to weep when you hear them. Yes. So it's it's very real and very common. Go it ahead. is. It is. And and it's where I I do consider it a privilege when I would get to challenge dads in that place, having sat front row as you have with too many boys whose hearts have been broken by that and calling dads to, to more awareness. I would say the second thing I talk a lot about is is naming and and, and really challenging dads that we are just beginning the journey of naming our children at at birth when when we give them a name that has meaning. But that's something we're going to be doing for the rest of their lives. Like we're going to be naming them um, for the remainder of their growing up. And we can name them in ways that I think allow them to grow into more of who God made them to be. Or I think we can name them in some really damaging, harmful ways. And I think back, Bill, to a book I read years ago written by a woman named Kelly Corrigan. It's called The Middle Place, and I loved the book, and it was a lot about her journey with her dad. And in the introduction of that book, she talks about him for the very first time, and she talks about the ways he made her feel, that he made her feel funny and like a great conversationalist. And she goes down this lengthy list, and she says, I'll never forget her saying this. It chokes me up every time I think about it. She says, in fact, I'm not really tr- I'm not really sure what's true about me because I've always chosen to believe his version. Oh and I remember reading those words and just weeping and thinking I want every dad to know that that I think we have that capacity to convince kids of who they are over the course of their growing up in some ways that again, move them more toward all what God created them to be or in some really harmful, damaging ways. And she goes on to speak to that. She goes, you know, those things can be the things we rail against for the rest of our lives or we're trying to recover from. You know that better than anybody sitting with 
men who are still recovering from how they were named or misnamed yes, in some decades way. Decades later. Yes. Decades and, later. And then I have, that's kind of back to the delight piece, I've seen evidence of kids who are just growing into more and more evidence of how they're being named right now in the most remarkable ways. And so I love challenging dads in that, like you just started when you gave your kid a name, you were just getting warmed up, but that's something you're gonna keep doing and that's where we've gotta pay attention. So it's continuing to call what you see in them and call yes. it out and affirm it in them. Yes, yes. And just over and over and over again, yes. that's that kind of renaming. Yes. Yeah, that is that is so powerful. And I'm curious, are there any, I know it's a lifelong thing, but are there any like particular ages in which you find this particularly needed or powerful in terms of just developmentally? Mm-hmm. I think so. I, I would say, you know, sitting with a lot of kids and families who are navigating transition, whether that's transition of separation or divorce or loss of a parent or family member, I think kids need naming in those moments when they feel like the rug got pulled out from underneath them and they don't know who they are. I think the onset of adolescence, you and I have had the great privilege of being a part of several ceremonies um, over uh, the course of our work with young men. We've been together in the same room in moments that I think has made both of us weep. And I love when fathers will call out and name their sons as they move into adolescence, into that really insecure, unsteady, unsure phase of development. And then I think, too, you know, when I think about kids who are graduating and launching out into the world and uh, we know that to be a heightened period of ambivalence and boys in particular will swing between the place of feeling like i got the world by the tail and i have absolutely right. no clue what i'm fear, doing yes and, anxiety. and i think boys need to be named then i think they need to be reminded of you know that message you speak beautifully to in this book you know just you have it in you right. you do and and so i think those are are some particular moments that stand out to me where I feel like kids need that as much as ever. Yeah, that's really helpful. Let's let's finish here. Um, just kind of an overall question. What have you learned from your own experience of being a father? What have you learned about the the intricacies, the possibilities, the challenges, the responsibilities, just, just the whole ball of wax about fathering just from walking with your three children hmm. well, highlight one or two things it's like these are these are lessons i've learned in the process of learning to be a father hmm. i would say two things that stand out to me uh, in particular i have learned or i believe that uh, this whole thing is rigged <laughs> <laughs> it's rigged um, I, I laugh about uh, I, I tell the story in one of our books about um, rereading the Genesis narrative when I found out we were pregnant for the very first time and I had a full-on freak out like I went from which this says so much about me from complete <laughs> excitement to terror you know and 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 I'm the kind of person that when I feel terrified, I'm like an information junkie. So I start reading and gathering information, <laughs> I'm believing that it there it is. And somewhere in that great search, I was like pulling grad school textbooks out. I had the... I'm going to get it right. <laughs> yeah, that's so me. I had the presence of mind to <laughs> go to the Word. And, and I remember rereading the Genesis narrative thinking, I wonder if Adam had a freak out moment. And I just have never noticed that before because I wasn't in this season of becoming a dad. But I'm so curious about the first man's account of being a father. And 
I reread and read and read and read, and I found what I was looking for. It's uh, in Genesis chapter 4. It's the first account of parenting in all the scriptures. That chapter starts with Adam lay with his wife, and they gave birth to a son. And that chapter ends, verse 26, and I'm not making this up. You can go back and read it. That chapter ends with, and at that time, man began to call on the name of the Lord. And I remember reading that and thinking, and there it is. There it is. There it is. I'm this, freaking out. There it is. I should be freaking out. This process is designed to make me call out to God like I have never called out. No. And and I would say that's maybe the biggest thing I've learned. And then I would say part B to that is that I, I very much believe this process is more about my growing up than it is about my children's. I hope I'm offering some things to help them along the way. But it's it's fascinating to me the vehicle that fathering has been to mature me and develop me and break me. Um, I sat with a dad last week uh, who I love and respect, and my oldest is about to graduate from high school and is a girl, and he was telling me the story of taking his first daughter to college, and he looked at me. I mean, he was sobbing. He looked at me, and he said, David, it's going to break your heart. It's going to break your heart on a whole new level, and it will be so painful and beautiful, and you know it's right, and you know it's the right time, and you know, but you are going to launch this little girl out into this really hard, harsh world, and nothing in that will feel natural, and that that chapter of breaking my heart is just a whole nother level of Genesis four twenty six. Like, I am going to feel calling there on it the is. Lord, I'm gonna yeah. call them all over again in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. When I drive away, you know, from wherever I end up taking her. So I, I think those would be the things that stand out to me the most. And and I and I want to highlight that's the journey of fa- fathering is not a place that you arrive. It's a journey that you are on, and as you follow the Lord's way of doing it, he's going to mold you and shape you into more and more of a father like our Heavenly Mm -hmm. Father. And that's always a great comfort. It's his work. This has been Heroic. Join us for the next episode as we turn to more practical ways to help men when they turn outward to serve on the heroic journey. If you're enjoying the Heroic podcast, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend who might want to listen in. Rating and word of mouth are the best ways to get the word out. You might also like my book, Heroic, The Surprising Path to True Manhood. Heroic will give you what you need to take the journey to become a man. It will help you find your guide for the journey, own your true identity, and discover your quest. This is how we become truly heroic. Go to HeroicBook.com for more information and to order a copy. That's HeroicBook.com.